very much. Um, good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Tim Power. I'm pastor of Modern Worship here, and I want to welcome you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, the reason this is such a pertinent passage of Scripture to us is we are in a sermon series right now called, um, what, what is it called again? Bad math equals good theology. And like I said a couple weeks ago, we've got some math teachers in here, and uh, they don't like that equation at the top. Uh, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. One plus one plus one equals one. Yet this is the equation for what we call the Trinity. It's a unique Christian teaching, this idea that we have one God, yet our one God is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what we've been doing is we've been spending some time first talking about what the Trinity is and then talking about each person of the Trinity. And one of the things I said in our first week was this idea that the Trinity really does matter to your life. This idea that we worship a God, this is very unique to the Christian faith, that we worship a God that has always existed in relationship. Okay, I want, to think, I want you to think about it that. Think about it. I think about it like this. I'm in a family, the, 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 well, I'm in a larger family, but in my direct atomic family, I've got my wife and I, we've got three children. There are five persons that make up our family, and yet we are one unified family. And I'll tell you, uh, one of the greatest things about that is that there is a love relationship that, that I have with each individual in that family. And then there is uh, this love that we have all together as one family. And that's true about the Trinity, that from beginning of all time, there was a relationship that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have had with each other. And the awesome thing we talked about was that we are actually invited into this relationship. I, uh, this was a, a picture that I used, uh, and, and it made a, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, my, my youngest son, who is now five, uh, about the time that he was about two and a half, whenever he would see my wife and I hugging, he would get in between us. You might have heard me say this a couple weeks ago. He would get in between us. And when he was able to verbalize, he would always say, I want to get in that love. I want to get in that love. And he would always, and now, now we just invite him anytime he's around. And uh, if, if I come in and I give my wife a hug after I've come home from work, then I just say, do you want to get in this love? That's what our relationship with God is like. That there is a loving relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and that we're invited into what we call the divine dance of that. We also talked uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Adam talked about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in our daily lives as our helper, as, a, as our direct communication, that, that inward leading of God in our lives. And last week we talked about God the Father. And I, I used some examples about what it means, you know, this, this idea that this Father love is available to us at all times, and that's a beautiful thing. And this week, we're going to be talking about Jesus. We're going to be talking about Jesus, and, and that passage that Pastor Deb read was a really important one, and here's why. Not, not only is it, is it, you know, obviously, and we'll talk about this, the person of Jesus has had a massive influence on human history, but what you believe and who you believe Jesus to be actually affects who you will be. It actually affects who you will be. You notice that when Jesus was asking Peter, when Peter answered that question and he said uh, that, that you are the Christ, the Messiah, that's when Jesus says, you're right, and now I'm going to tell you who you are. Who Jesus is informs who we are. Now, in the past couple weeks, 
we've been talking about um, kind of an insider's view of these things, kind of theological ideas, biblical ideas. I want to take a look at Jesus kind of from an outsider's perspective. Because I think the person of Jesus, even, even if you're just looking at it from an outsider's perspective, is pretty amazing. When you woke up today, uh, probably you didn't look at your watch. You probably looked at your phone. What date did your phone say? Anybody? You can look now if you really need to. June 23rd, what? 2019. 2019 years from what? From the birth of this man, Jesus Christ. Now think about how Jesus has actually impacted how history is recorded. Up until the time of Jesus, there were many ways of recording dates all, all around the globe, but dates were often tied mostly to specific rulers, which is not really a great way to think about dates. If you think about it, back, back then, they would say something like this. The third year, historians would record it like this. The third year in the, in the reign of Nero, or the 32nd year in the reign of Caesar. Well, about 500 years after Jesus died, there was a Scythian monk, and he proposed a new way of dating history. And it turns... Uh, on the life of Jesus, and it makes Jesus Christ the hinge point of history. Anno Domini, which is Latin for the year of the Lord, would indicate the dates after Jesus' coming, and B.C., or before Christ, would indicate the dates prior to his coming. That's a pretty amazing thing to think about. It. Even if you have no real belief in Jesus Christ as a Savior or anything else, is that whenever you look at your calendar, you're reminded, by, you're reminded of the birth of of this man, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I, I have this up here today. A lot of times I'm sitting, and I, I sit in a chair with a table next to me. I try to be a little bit more informal, but I'm going to be reading a lot because I want to go through a lot of historical examples of why Jesus is so important. And I'm going to, as I said, I'm going to be reading a lot of history. I want to sound smarter than I am. I'm going to do the rest of this with a British accent. Actually, I'm not. My British accent, I do really dirty cockney. That's all I can really do. Like, good day, governor. That's all, all I've got, so I won't do that. I'll sound worse. But listen to this. Think of the fact that Jesus Christ only lived 33 years. Caesar probably never heard of Jesus. There were 10 other messianic figures who came and went during the life of Jesus. That means other people who claimed to be the Messiah, as Jesus did, and started messianic movements. Ten lived and died around the same time of Jesus, and if, or in the reign of Caesar. And if you were to ask anyone at that time, who would have a bigger impact on history, the ruler of the Roman Empire or a poor Jewish carpenter with no political power, no armies, not even a place, place to lay his head, I would probably put my money on Caesar, wouldn't you? But now look back. Caesar Augustus died in the year of our Lord, 17 A.D. Emperor Nero died in the year of our Lord, 68 A.D. I love, I love how uh, uh, the, the, the author John Ortberg puts this. He says, even though all of these emperors should have made a bigger impact on history than this poor carpenter from Palestine, now... We give our children names like Jesus' followers, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and we give our dogs names like Caesar and Nero. Pretty interesting, right? 
the cross, this manner of Jesus Christ's execution is the most recognized symbol in human history. It adorns more works of art, more gravestones, more jewelry than any other symbol. That's pretty amazing. And the movement of Jesus Christ continues to grow, even in spite of the fact that sometimes us, the people that are called Christians, often misrepresent Jesus to the world around us. There's a Yale professor whose name I will definitely uh, get the pronunciation wrong, Yaroslav Pelikan, and don't tell him that I got it wrong, but he said this. In his research, he found this to be true. Regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth was the mo- has been the most dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. If you honestly just look at Jesus as a historical figure and his, at his impact on the world, you've got to ask, who was this man, right? Who was this man? Jesus existed in an ancient world that was a pretty dark and brutal place. But the vision that Jesus lived out in his birth, his life, and his death, his vision for, what the wor- for how the world could be transformed actually transformed the human imagination, Jesus' impact on our world is deep and wide. In church, we often get really caught up arguing about doctrine and practice, and we spend way too little time just marveling at the impossible impact that Jesus has had on our culture. You know, it would be hard to choose a less likely person to change the world than Jesus Christ. He never held an office, never led an army. He didn't write a book. He didn't have a website. He never, in fact, traveled more than 200 miles from where he, was, where he was born. His early followers were remarkably unimportant also. They were called by our New Testament scriptures unschooled and ordinary people. Yet 2,000 years later, it's impossible to imagine the world in which Jesus and his followers did not exist. Jesus gave us one of the most influential institutions, the church. And without the church, we wouldn't have Augustine, Aquinas, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr., no John Wesley, John of the Cross, no John the Baptist. But even disagreeing, uh, disregarding these individuals, let's just think for a minute about what a revolutionary institution the early church of Jesus Christ, these followers that called themselves the way, were. In those times, there were nations, there were ethnic groups, there were tribes, guilds, and lots of groupings of people. But when the early church was established after the death of Jesus, it looked radically different than anything we've ever seen. These people aren't gathered according to race, class, gender, like most groups had done up until then. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul commanded in the early church. In Galatians 3.28, it says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Now see, equality is a virtue that is kind of embedded in our culture. But it wasn't there as a given. In fact, much of these foundations of love, equality, and decency were birthed from the vision of a poverty-stricken, crucified carpenter. In the ancient Roman world, uh, where the early church took root, you know, right now, we, we all value our children We value children that aren't ours as a culture. In the early Roman, uh, I mean, in the ancient Roman world, they didn't care that much about children. 
if a family was too poor or if a rich family didn't want another child because it would mean they would have too many heirs, or if the child was the wrong gender, who could tell me what the wrong gender was back then? They would just put the child outside to die. In fact, it's estimated that of every million male children born in those days, between three and 400,000 girls were born but left to die of exposure. A Roman writer, Seneca, from the first century wrote, we drown children at birth when they are weak or abnormal. And at that time, that wasn't just horrible, that, w- that was just how things were. But the early church had very different belief And they took very different actions. See, the Christians that followed the teachings of Jesus remembered the words of Jesus when he said, let the children come to me. He had a value for the children. They remembered how he valued life differently, and so they acted accordingly. They would take in children, unwanted, disregarded. And people thought that that was a strange thing back then. In fact, there's a record of a Christian man uh, named Meningus of Dijon who rescued many babies from failed abortions or exposure and took them in to care for them in his own home. In fact, the Romans at the time found this so strange that they martyred him for this. Sociologist Rodney Stark says that one of the reasons for the massive expansion of Christianity can be historically linked to two major epidemics that struck the Roman Empire in the second and third centuries. These were plagues that wiped out a fourth or a third of whole cities. People became so fearful that they didn't just throw bodies out of their dead family members, they would throw bodies of the sick and dying into the streets. But these strange people that called themselves followers of Jesus began to be be known for taking in these people and caring for them even at risk of their own lives because they believed that they served a God of healing and compassion. In fact, in the 4th century, one of these strange people named St. Benedict started what is considered the first hospital to serve these people in desperate need. And you know what? People got curious. They wanted to know why these strange people were doing this. And more importantly, they wanted to know who this person Jesus was that they said they were following. Skipping ahead on the timeline of history, we encounter in 1700 another really strange person a British member of parliament, his name is William Wilberforce. After experiencing a personal crisis, he had a dramatic personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He became a follower of Jesus. At first, he considered leaving his political career and to devote his life just to Christian activity, but he felt that he should live his life in such a way that, that people could see in his politics who he followed. And so this led him to public action. And in 1807, his deep faith led him to introduce and pass the hugely important Slave Trade Act, which outlawed slavery in England. And listen to this, these words that he said. He said, Christ set me free, so I will do all I can to set others free. That's a picture of a changed person changing the world, isn't it? Another hundred years later, we encounter another strange follower of this man, Jesus, Birmingham, Alabama, in 1963, a Baptist minister named Martin Luther King Jr., like William Wilberforce, King's transformational relationship with Jesus Christ made him take a hard look at the racist policies of segregation. His beliefs drove him to action. 
he gathered men and women and children for a nonviolent march from their church to the center of town to protest these racist policies that they were dealing with in Alabama. The police demanded that they disperse, and when they didn't, they were blasted with water cannons, many of them children and women. People complained to King. People on his side complained to him that the encounter showed that nonviolence protests didn't work. They said, you don't win a fight by losing a fight. But see, Martin Luther King Jr. knew different. He believed in a Savior who won the battle to save all mankind, not by a fight, but by hanging on a cross. That his Savior Jesus won by every blow to his own body. So here's the real question for you today, and for me today, for us, who is this man Jesus? Because there's so much that we can know about him, and that's astounding, it's incredible, and I think it's kind of impossible, if you look at the scope of history, how this man Jesus has affected so much in such un- improbable ways. But in the end, I want to know what you think of this man in your life. See, it's my prayer that this morning that we don't leave this place just knowing more facts about Jesus, amazing as they are. I would pray that we would know him. See, you can make a lot of things the center of your world. You can make your career the center of your world. You can make your family the center of your world. You can live for your weekends. You can live for your hobbies. You can live for your vacations. But in the end, all of those things will not compare to the overwhelming value of knowing Jesus Christ and being part of his revolutionary kingdom. See, Jesus is already the center of human history. So if you haven't yet, I would like to maybe invite you to make him the center of your story as well. Uh, I'm going to invite our band back up to the stage at this time. I'm going to read this verse from uh, 1 John 3.16. One of the most famous passages in the Bible is John 3.16, and it tells us that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, that he gave up his life so that we could have eternal life. The message of 1 John 3.16 is very similar, but I like that it connects to this world and not just the afterlife. It says this, this is how we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Could it be like Jesus said that this man Jesus is actually not just a man, not just an amazing historical figure, but actually our Savior? Because maybe if you, and maybe if I, maybe if we could make his life the model for our own, the model for our lives, then maybe we could change the world like he did. Maybe our lives could count like Jesus' life counted. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. And maybe if, if you're wanting to connect to Jesus on, on a different level, not just uh, a level where you understand his place in history, not just where you understand his place in theology, but actually his place in your heart. I'm going to invite you into a time of prayer now. And maybe you feel like, I don't even have the words. I don't don't know what I would say. 
It can be as simple as you saying, God, thank you for giving your life for me. And I want to give my life to you. I can promise you this, that nothing else is more worthy of giving your full attention to. Nothing else is more worthy of living your life for than the revolutionary message of God's great love. I'm just going to have a moment of silence. And if you feel like you want to give of yourself, you want to give up your life so that you can live a life that counts for all of eternity. It's just a matter of you in your heart saying yes to Jesus this morning. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. I thank you that we can know you. And every person that you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you that that can inform our lives. It can change our lives. It can make us live better. It can make us love better. I pray that we would be a people transformed by knowing you. Not knowing about you, but by knowing you. Help us to get away, away from this idea of religion, God. And awaken us to this idea of a relationship with the God who truly loves us, who came to die for us so that we wouldn't have to die, Lord God, but so that we could live lives of purpose. Oh, Lord God, we've got so much to be thankful for. Lord God, we just give ourselves to you today. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.